This is Kirk Barron, center of the Seattle Dragons. Welcome to XFL Extra, the XFLboard.com podcast. for some more XFL, welcome back to XFL Extra, the podcast brought to you by XFLboard.com. I'm your host, Mark Nelson, and this is our 22nd episode. In this episode, you'll hear from three guests. First, we will go to Seattle and speak to Kirk Barron, a center with the Seattle Dragons. Kirk will tell us about his journey to the Dragons and how he is looking forward to getting on the field with the DC Defenders in the XFL opening matchup next weekend. Then we will go to New Orleans, where we will catch up with kicker Garrett Hartley. We will talk about how Garrett was signed by the Seattle Dragons, but released a few days later because the league would not clear him medically. Finally, we will go to Tulsa, Oklahoma and speak to XFLboard.com Houston Roughnecks team reporter Mike Gamble. Mike is a school teacher, a football coach, and a huge football fan. We will hear Mike's spirited comments about Team 9, the Roughnecks, and on the impending success of the league. I call this podcast We Are Ready. It's about a league that will kick off in six days, and especially about the players that are integral to the league's success. Yes, we are ready. Let's get started. I'd like to welcome Kirk Barron. He's a center with the Seattle Dragons of the XFL. Welcome, Kirk. How you doing? Well, I'm great. So you must be working hard right now with the Dragons getting ready for the game next weekend. Yeah, we are. We've been uh we've been kind of finishing up the details kinda. Um kind of setting up our game plan for D C. Yeah, that's exciting. That you're you're going to D C next weekend, you're gonna play in the first game of the new XFL and it's gonna be on ABC, right? Yes, yeah. These are all the exciting things you dreamed about when you uh, when you decided to go into pro football, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's just opening day, um, being a part of a new league, um, you know, it's exciting and uh, kind of see what Mr. McMahon has envisioned for us and kind of see it come to fruition here in the next couple of weeks. So how, how long have you been known about the new XFL? How long have you been following it? Um... So I've been aware of it for probably six months or so. Um, you know, actually, when they first, uh, probably since when he had the first opening statement, um, when he said, because I was in college at the time, and I think Mr. McMahon said that they were going to do it up again, and that was before I even came out for the NFL or XFL or anything. And uh, that's when I kind of first heard of it. And then my coach was in college was Jeff Brom, who played in the first XFL. So I kind of knew of it, and I'm just grateful for the opportunity to be playing in it. So Jeff Brom was your was your your college coach at Purdue then? Yes, sir. Yeah, you know he was a real animal in the first XFL. Like he really uh, there's a there's a great video of him taking a hit and then coming back next week to play again. Yeah, that's what I heard. Uh, the the pulse one where he said, I still have a pulse. That's right. Yeah. 
<laughs> I hope he still yeah. has a sense of humor like that. Yeah, no, he does. Well, that's great. It's uh, yeah, it's that's fun. It's fun to hear that. So you played uh, college football at Purdue, and uh, you played your entire college career at Purdue. Is that right? Yes, sir. So I um, mean, yeah, I went in there in 2014, and I just, I'm a rookie, so I just left. After Purdue, your career at Purdue was, or uh, you graduated, your career, uh, college career was over. You were all about playing professional football, weren't you? You were looking for a professional football career. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that's what every college football kid kind of dreams of is playing at the next level. And for me, um, it's really about not letting the dream die. And, I mean, um, you know, I, I signed with the Dolphins out of college. I got let go. And then I signed with the Bengals, and I got let go. And then I was out of the job for a couple months. And then uh, when the XFL came calling, it just seemed like the right move for my career moving forward. And, uh, I mean, I was lucky enough to play for the Seattle team, and now I'm up here. We got training camp and everything out of the way, and we're just ready to go. The NFL did come calling for you, and but the uh, – was it the Miami Miami Dolphins and then the Bengals, but both both of them did not keep you in their rosters. They Both both those teams waived you, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, isn't, isn't that the way it goes for a lot – so many players. I mean, I hear it over and over again about how – uh, an opportunity comes and then it, it gets it, it leaves, uh, and then you have to keep then you have to keep your faith and look for a new opportunity after that. Is that is that's kind of how it's been for you? Yeah, you know, it's really hard to explain it. Um, so I mean, you got the guys that like the Russell Wilsons of the world or the Tom Brady's who you know they work their butts off, but they're also extremely lucky. They also need an opportunity or a shot and. The thing with playing professional football is that you got to keep to it. Just because someone says no at the time does not mean that that's the end of your career. I know I wouldn't be in the XFL right now and still playing football if it wasn't for my family or my girlfriend. Um, I mean, they, they definitely pushed me. And, I mean, they know how much the game of football means to me. And, and they pushed me to keep with it. And they and they pushed me to, to keep going. And I'm very grateful that they did. Or I wouldn't meet some of my, my good friends up here in Seattle and I wouldn't have broadened my horizons when it came when it came to the game of football. No, so now now that you're with the, the Dragons, you're seeing this as an opportunity to get back on the field and to possibly play pro football for this league and maybe another league also in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Did you participate in an XFL summer showcase? I did. Uh, I was in the New York one. So you went to the New York showcase, or they or they invited you, or you got into it. And so they started to have a look at you then, and then you got an invitation to the XFL draft uh, from Oliver Locke. Is that right? Yes, that's exactly what happened. So I got, I got an invite to the showcase, went out to New York, formed pretty well, ran really well. Um, and then I got invited to the draft, and then I just kind of waited for my name call. And uh, it just uh, happened in the, I was the 50th overall pick in the offensive line. Draft. They picked you on day one of the draft in the in the offensive yeah. line pick. Yeah. Yep. So you got picked uh, fairly high in the in the draft order, uh, which is always I'm sure that was exciting for you that you were already picked on day one. You didn't have to wait till day two. Yeah, I mean, I think it was a relief from because I, I actually went home. I was living in Denver at the time training, and I went home for it back to South Indiana, and well, actually Mishawaka, Indiana. 
and I was with my mom and my girlfriend and my grandma. And, uh, you know, we just heard my name called. It was just instant relief knowing that I was still playing the game. So you actually heard your name called because they were they were uh, broadcasting that part of the draft. Yes, yes. Well, that must have been exciting. Yeah, it was. I mean, I've always wanted to be drafted, and, uh, you know, that was pretty cool to hear your name called. Yeah, so they, they did call your name, so that's cool. So you were listed in the draft as an offensive guard, and now the Dragons list you as a center. So, so you move around the O-line as, as, as it fits. Is that how your career goes? Yeah, I mean, uh, I started 40 games in college at center. And then, um, I mean, I'm a center by trade, but if I need to play guard, I can play guard. That's the one thing you kind of learn once you transition out of college is that the more you can do, the more valuable you are as a player. So, I mean, I can play left, right guard, center, um, special teams, pretty much anything. So that makes you valuable to any team and uh, valuable to the Dragons as well? Yes, absolutely. So what was your first impression of the Dragons when you joined the Dragons? Um, I mean, we came up up to Seattle. I've never been here. Um, So this is kind of a culture shock. Um, I've really never been out west. So I, I liked it immediately. And then kind of getting around the guys and around the Tony Softly. Um, he's our like assistant G- or a, a GM, I guess, along with like our player personnel guys. And, you know, you, you felt welcome. Coach Smith is a really good guy. He's our offensive line coach. And we had uh, Coach Mike Riley. And they're all really great guys. And uh, they just kind of made you, they made you welcome. So you felt welcome from the from day one then, so that's good. Yeah. So what what kind of team is the Seattle Dragons? Um, our defense is pretty tenacious to get after the ball. Um, our offense, we like to run the ball, I feel like. But we're not afraid to air it out. We're pretty balanced, I think. So I, I just think we're a really complete team. So and in your case, it's all about protecting the quarterback when he's up in the pocket. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's. You protect him like he's the president, it feels like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You mentioned that uh, you this is your first time to Seattle. Now, you grew up in Indiana, didn't you? Yeah. So I grew up in Mishawaka, which is like two minutes from South Bend, where Notre Dame met. And you went to high school in Mishawaka? Is that right? It's Marion High School? Yep, Mishawaka Marion. It's a small little Catholic school. Small little school, and you played for the Marion Knights uh, when you were in high school? Yep, yes, sir. Uh, I'm very appreciative of what Marion taught me um, growing up. Uh, I, them, I went to St. Monica's Middle School and grade school. You know, I'm pretty proud to be a Comet and a Knight, just having my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It means a lot and what they taught me out there. And uh, they taught me to, you know, hard work always beats talent, and that's what I've done. So you learned a lot from high school, learned about faith, and you're carrying that through to your career now with the Dragons. Yeah, absolutely. So is your family uh, planning on on coming out to see you in Seattle? I'm not too sure. I know they're going to the first game um, in D.C., and they'll probably go to the St. Louis game. Um, I'm not too sure about them coming out to Seattle. That's still in the works. So you'll have some friendly faces in those away games. That'll be there for you. Yeah, I will. Yes, I will. Because those are the ones. And my like best friend, he lives in D.C. Um, so I'm gonna have a lot of people going to the D.C. game. You know, I think that D.C. game is going to be a big deal. Of course, it is the first game, so 
I mean, at least, yeah. you know, you can say that you played in that inaugural XFL game. Yeah, that'll be a cool little, uh, cool fun fact down the road. All right. Well, I'd like to thank you for coming to the interview today. Now, Kirk, uh, I guess people can follow you online on social media on Twitter. I have your Twitter handle is Kirk Barron seventy three. That's K I R K B A R R O N seventy three. Is that right? Yes, sir. All right, Kirk. We'll be watching for you on the field for the Dragons come this Saturday. Thank you very much. All right, go Dragons. Yes, sir. Go Dragons. I'd like to welcome kicker Garrett Hartley to the podcast. Garrett was signed by the Seattle Dragons of the XFL, and he traveled to uh, Seattle to join the team, but he was quickly sent home because the XFL medical officers would not clear him for play. So you had a quick trip to Seattle and back. That is correct. I flew in Friday uh, and uh, took my physical uh, from a primary care doctor, uh, and then uh, they're um, I guess pending on what the uh, some of the surgeons said or whoever above them had they I had a copy of a, a very recent MRI and uh, everything and was excited to be up there and, you know I'm you know I'm healthy I was feeling great that wasn't a doubt in my mind that uh, the XFL was going to uh, uh, fail me on the physical. So it was a huge surprise. Uh, uh, you Absolutely, because I've, ar- I've already been cleared medically through um, my world-renowned spine surgeon, Dr. Watkins Jr., and uh, as well as uh, cleared through uh, another surgeon at Tulane through my MRI reports. I would, you know, I would never put myself in jeopardy. Uh, to play a game if it meant I could ultimately, you know, suffer lifelong consequences because of it. So absolutely was a surprise to you, especially when we saw you on social media that you were very excited about joining the XFL and then uh, and flew all the way to Seattle and then uh, we're told this, uh, this news, right? Absolutely. That was the last thing on my mind that uh, I wouldn't... Uh, so your leg is perfectly fine. Uh, you're, I think you uh, you tweeted out some stats that you kicked 19 of 20 field goals and the longest from 55. Is that right? That is correct. And that you did that as a workout for Seattle, or you did that when you got to Seattle? I did that up in Seattle uh, before practice Monday. So you got there, and they, th- they gave you the, the field, and you uh, showed your stuff. You put your leg to work for them and showed how, how, uh, how you still had it. Uh, absolutely. That was the first time that they saw me kick live, even though that they have film of me kicking out when I work out at, uh, here in New Orleans uh, at Tulane. Yeah, so there was a workout in Tulane with, that they were familiar with, it, that they saw that showed uh, that you were still in shape and you could still kick. Yes, sir. I'm wondering how surprised they were to, to uh, get the report from the medical staff. I mean, that was uh, the Seattle Dragons. I'm sure the Seattle Dragons had full intentions of putting you on the field on the opening game. That is uh, 100% correct. Like, yeah, I mean, from uh, everyone that I spoke to there, um, you know, it was uh, you know, everything was mutual. They were they were happy to have me, and I was happy to be there, and uh, I was going to be their guy. No, no questions asked. They were definitely focused on getting you in there and getting you on the field, but it was it was the league's medical staff or medical doctor that made this opinion or this this verdict on you. Is that right? 
Yes, I was told that the the risk of the unknown from my surgery was why they uh, would not clear me. I since I have an artificial disc in my neck and not a fusion, there isn't uh, substantial. There's uh, I, I guess enough evidence for them to medically say that I would be clear in the XFL. Uh, there's no waivers to be signed since there's not a collective bargaining agreement and all the decisions go to the XFL and not the individual teams like it would be in the NFL. So that means that you're not just not able to kick for the Seattle Dragons, you're not able to kick for any XFL team at this point in time. That is correct. And just be very clear, this was not a performance issue why they had to release me. It was strictly because the XFL just uh, was unwilling to, to give me the green light. This is an insurance reason, isn't it? You can speculate how you want. Um, so is there a chance to get a second opinion, like to get an alternate medical opinion on this? That's that's what I'm trying to right now. Unfortunately, they don't have anything in place set up as far as appeals goes. Uh, it's kind of a, a one-all. Uh, however, there is some potential... Uh, meetings that might take place early next week that will definitely bring me back up in the conversation as far as if there's anything else. Um, I think the most upsetting, the frustrating thing for me was the fact that I never had any surgeon other than a primary care doctor overlook or look at me physically in person to see how strong I am and knowing that the artificial disc is the future of fusions anyway. I have more mobility. It's longer lasting. You know, we have professional athletes across the world that have these in. Just none of them happens to be uh, a football player. They're, they're professional soccer players with this in. There is military act, active personnel with artificial disc in their cervical neck. And unfortunately, like I said, that they, um, they wouldn't give me the green light. I think that's unfortunate, but again, you never actually saw an actual doctor, never actually examined you. Uh, it was based on your medical records. Is that what you're telling me? Yes. So I, I never once saw any surgeon or orthopedic specialist while I was up there. Yeah. They were going off assumptions from, you know, their own research of, a, um, of the disc. I know that they had spoke to my surgeon, which operated on Peyton Manning, uh, as well as uh, other high-priority athletes that obviously came back to uh, to playing, even though he had a different procedure than me. But having that reassurance, uh, reassurance uh, through a uh, you know a, a top uh, top-ranked doctor is all the you know the assurance that I need as a player and the confidence, knowing if he feels it's safe, then obviously um, I. I I believe that uh, it would be for me to be on the field. My understanding is you're still focused on getting back on the football field and you would love if the XFL would take a second look at this situation and maybe have uh, come up to a, uh, come up with an alternate uh, resolution on this, on this issue. No, uh, no doubt. Uh, my, my goal and my goal has been to, to play football again. And, you know, what I can take away from this is, I proved it to myself that I still have the ability to play professional football. Um, you know, this, like I said earlier, this had nothing to do on my performance level of how I was kicking the ball. Obviously it was high enough to, 
to be signed with the XFL, and I know I'm good enough to play in the NFL. It's just a matter of getting that opportunity. And obviously, uh, we're, we're not going to let this rest easy. Uh, and uh, we're in the process of having uh, other evaluations and, uh, and people's inputs uh, come through uh, within the next week or two just to have that reassurance that we, uh, that we are good to go. As football players in general, there is a risk every time we step the field, regardless if you're a kicker, your quarterback, whatever position, linebackers, safety, it doesn't matter. There's always that risk of that potential catastrophic blow. And as I was told with how strong my neck is, anything that would have been strong enough to dislodge my disc in my neck would be strong enough to dislodge anything uh, in someone that doesn't have that uh, and, and, you know, uh, that, that hasn't gone under that procedure. So your surgeon assures you that your neck is just as strong now as it ever was, even with an artificial disc. Absolutely. It, 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 it has fused in with my bone. Uh, like I said, I had the surgery in May of 2018. It has been over 18 months. And, you know, I've been cleared uh, literally since uh, probably, I, I think, at least over uh, eight months now medically to, to be able to play uh, play football again. Well, you know what? We'd love to see you back on the field and uh, for the XFL, and I hope that uh, there's a good ruling for you. I mean, people, you've still got a lot. You have a lot of fans, football fans out there that still love you. Uh, I shouldn't say still. They always love you, and it goes back to uh, Super Bowl 44 in 2010. You were with the yeah. Saints. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, it was back with the Saints, and then you know we had the overtime kick versus the Vikings. Yeah. Um, to, to go to the Super Bowl, and then we had three field goals over 40 in the Super Bowl. Uh, but more importantly, as a team, we were able to come back and just uh, uh, we had that uh, uh, amazing uh, outcome, you know, not just for the team, but for the whole city of New Orleans. And you want to get back on the field and do that again? Absolutely. I would never want to put myself in harm's way, and I wouldn't do that. And But I know and I trust in my own ability of where I'm at physically how I feel, as well as having the opinion of my surgeon. You know what? I think people should uh, stay tuned on this situation, and they should follow you. And I know that you uh, you use social media. Your handle is ghartley5 on Twitter and Instagram, right? Yes, sir. And I, I will be uh, uh, you know updating training videos of me kicking and letting everyone know that uh, you know that we're healthy and we're ready to go. Just need to. Uh, need the opportunity and unfortunately that's what I got in Seattle I made the team uh I signed my contract pending obviously uh to get clearance of the physical which the XFL denied me however this isn't stopping me from pursuing my goals and my passion of ultimately being back on the field and helping my team put up points and win games all right Garrett we're, we're gonna see more of you I'm sure of it thank you I'm looking forward to it. I appreciate it man I'd like to introduce Mike Gamble. Mike Gamble's a reporter for XFL Board, and he follows the Houston Roughnecks from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Welcome, Mike. Oh, thank you. I appreciate you having me on. It's good to be here and uh, just ready for the season. we got a week to go. Yeah, it's good to have you, and I know that uh, we haven't had you on this podcast before. This is your first time, and you're a school teacher, and you tell me that you like to talk, so this is what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about football. 
Well, perfect. And, you know, having me on there is great because I'm a football coach, so we love football and we love talking football. Uh, sometimes I think we want to talk everybody's ear off, but that's okay. It's just a passion that we have, and we love sharing it with others. So I'm, I'm happy to be on board today. So one of the reasons why you're an XFL fan is because strictly because you're a football fan, aren't you? Absolutely. And what better way to extend the season? I mean, as we're getting ready for the Super Bowl tomorrow, you don't have to wait, you know, another six months, nine months for football to start up. Another great league is actually starting next week. I mean, we've got the XFL. If you're a football fan, this is like a dream. This is like Christmas year round because now we've got another league that's going to bring in some exciting football for us. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what this league brings. I, I think that they are doing everything right. It seems they've got everything organized the right way. I mean, we, we all remember what happened this last year with the AAF and I think that they tried to rush to get in there and start and compete with the XFL. I think the XFL I think in their mindset, I think they, they're doing things it seems the right way and, I, and I'm looking forward to this season and this league being around for many, many years to come and I think it's going to help revolutionize with some of their ideas. I think it may revolutionize football in general. I'm, I agree with you. I'm along for the ride. I want to see more football. I want to see XFL brand football is what I want to see and uh Something different is always good to have on your television. Now, uh, earlier this week, you wrote an article about Team 9, and Team 9 is basically a practice roster that's being set up by the XFL. And now, uh, yesterday, the XFL actually released more details about Team 9. Did you see that? Uh, yes, I did. Uh, very interesting. I mean, here they're... As we're talking about a revolutionary concept in football, I think that they're on the right track with this Team 9. Instead of having each individual team having a practice squad, they have created a league-wide practice squad. And, and I think that's very interesting in a lot of ways. They're going to be maintaining the practice squad it, it, not just for, you know, as a filler in for each individual team, they're really trying to develop these players as professionals and not necessarily for a specific team, but for the league wide. And I think that's very unique because, you know, most of the time when you have a practice squad, say, for instance, for the Dallas Cowboys. They are practicing for that team. They are learning that team's playbook. They are specifically being developed for that team only. The XFL is actually developing these players to fill in for any given team and develop their craft as football players. Because I think one of the things that was mentioned that I thought was very unique is they're not going to be worrying about specific playbooks. Uh, they're actually going to be working on basic football becoming better as the professional football players, not worried about, you know, the X's and O's, but they're really worried more about developing individualized skills, stepping with the right foot, covering correctly, you know, running right correct routes. And at that point, these players could literally step into any team at any given moment. I thought that's very interesting. Uh, as far as I know, I've not heard of it in any other football league or any other sports league where you have a league-wide practice squad. And I think right just from the get-go, that Team 9 concept is very revolutionary, and it may catch on in the NFL. Uh, where you uh, or you know the CFL, where that kind of influence may carry over as hey, this is a positive. We like this idea. I think it's a fantastic idea myself. Yeah, it's a fantastic idea. Now you're aware that uh, this was done in NFL Europe, though, right? Yes, and and if you look, 
who who's the commissioner of the XFL? It's Oliver Luck. Where was he at? NFL Europe. The head coach that they brought on Team Nine, where was he in NFL Europe? So I think they're bringing the positive aspects, the things that worked in NFL Europe, and saying, hey, it worked. It worked well. We developed players. Let's bring those positive aspects of NFL Europe to the XFL. A lot of times, you know, we spend so much time trying to reinvent the wheel and finding new ways to do things. But as we all, you know, the old saying, if it ain't broke, why fix it? Well, this was something that was a really good concept in NFL Europe, and I think they're bringing it in to develop these players, you know, to be to the point where they could step in literally in a moment's notice and go play for any of the XFL teams. I think it's a great idea that they have brought with them, and I think that's due to the, you know, influence of, you know, the new XFL commissioner, Oliver Luck. The other thing they're doing is they're locating Team 9 in Dallas and we will play will play uh, or practice at Globe Life Park, the same field as the D- Dallas Renegades, and share their resources. Now, is having Team 9 players centrally located in the center part of the United States, is that important? I, I think that basically, I, I don't know if it's overly important, but it does set a kind of a precedence. Like they're putting it right in the middle of America, Dallas, Texas. If you look at where, you know, where our geography is, Dallas is perfectly centrally located. So if you wanted to send a player off, you know, they got a, you know, contract offer to go place for another team that they could go east coast or west coast i think also with having it there in dallas with the the situation with globe life park basically the renegades have uh taken over that park and uh because the texas rangers baseball team has building a new ballpark uh should be just about done uh if i if it isn't already uh and that way they've got a nice stadium with some really nice resources to be able to develop this team nine in conjunction with the Dallas Renegades, but not necessarily when I say in conjunction, I don't think it's that they're going to be working in tandem, but at least those players will still be around an XFL facility and still see some of the influence of the Dallas Renegades. But, uh, of course, be on their own because they're going to have their own coaching staff. They're going to be working on their stuff because they've got you know some criteria that they want to be working on. And so I don't think it's necessarily that they're just going to be a practice squad, for instance, for the Dallas Renegades. I don't think that that was the intention. I think they were just trying to put it as being centrally located. And, and that's a smart idea. Why put it on the East Coast or the West Coast? Put it straight in the middle because we also have uh, the Rusnecks, the Battle Hawks. So you've got three XFL teams in here in the central United States as well. So I think it's just a good geographic, put it smack dab in the middle of America. So geography plays a part in that. Now, the other thing... I think they uh, did. The other thing that Derek Galco said, uh, he said the Team 9 was not a way station. I think what he... What did he mean by this? He meant that teams can't stash players there? I don't think that that was the intention. Just, hey, let's, uh, we've got some players on injured reserve, or we've got some players that we want. It's like a futures contract. I think in the NFL, when they do these practice squads and they offer these futures contracts with players uh, right after the regular season, I think a lot of them, they're, they're exactly that. They're stashing players away so that other teams can't grab them, put them on a contract, and then we just hide them away and use them and develop them on their own. The whole purpose of Team 9 is to develop a league-wide practice squad. And almost certainly, I would think by, I think even in the article, you even talked about it, that, uh, 
the commissioner of scouting, um, Eric Galco, who even said probably by week five, every one of these players, that 40 man roster, every one of these players will more than likely be on an active XFL roster. So I don't think that the teams are just trying to use it as a stashing system or anything else because each individual team is not assigning players to this, uh, Team Nine, the league is. So the league is in control of Team Nine. So I don't think they're trying to help or assist any one team or anything else. I think this is a development team. They, they, the league has seen some certain players that could have that potential to play in the XFL, and they want to continue working with them so that to give them that final push so that they can have success once they do hit a team roster. Because I fully expect, you know, with that 40 men roster uh, for Team Nine, they're going to end up playing at one point or another. We, we know injuries happen. We know, you know, week one, week two, week three, injuries are going to happen. Teams are going to need, I need a right tackle. I need a linebacker. I need a safety. I need a quarterback. Those players are going to get that option. So Team 9, I don't think, is a, a, a weight station. I think it's a development team. And I think that, like I said, that's another one of those very unique com- uh, uh, concepts that the XFL has developed. Yeah, okay, so it's not a way station, as he pointed out. But there's, I, they also talked about that, uh, in fact, they, they, warned, uh, they warned us that there would be some churn of players. In other words, there's going to be a lot of player movement. Uh, oh, absolutely. And they warned us of that, to be to expect it, which is probably a good idea for them. But And the other thing, as they pointed out, is that uh, up in the first two weeks of the, of the season, teams could pick players, or get players from anywhere. But after week two, they could only get players from Team 9. Did you say that? That is correct. Part? Yes, yes, I did. I think what they're saying is for the first two weeks, they were giving the, uh, each individual XFL team the option to pick players from off the street. But after two weeks, that XFL, you know, Team 9 should be working to its full potential. Because first of all, they, as far as I'm, uh, I know, they don't start practicing until February 3rd. So they don't start practicing until Monday. So they're in, in a, that aspect, they're a couple of weeks behind, so to speak. If, you were, you know, if you're thinking in the mindset of an XFL head coach, Hey, these guys are a couple weeks in theory behind, so it's going to take a couple weeks for these guys to be, get fully up to speed. But after week two, if you need a replacement player, uh, the league rules state you must take them from Team 9. So these uh, XFL head coaches and general managers, they need to be looking at these players because after the second week of the season, they have no choice. They have to use these players. So I think there will be yeah, there obviously will be some movement of players. If you're doing well on that Team 9, you know that at one point or another, you're probably going be playing you're going to be playing on tv you're going to be playing in one of these teams and i think that's kind of an interesting concept it's like look you're not just here just to be here just to you know keep working out you're working out and keeping in top condition because tomorrow you're getting on a plane to go play to join your new team and next saturday or next sunday you're going to be playing you know live on tv I find it interesting that the XFL has thought of these nuances like the Week 2 rule. Uh, they've actually built those in so teams would not be hampered by Team 9 at the beginning of the season, and then later on they would be helped by Team 9. So I I find exactly. it cool that they built that in, and they thought of that. And then all the other thing that they built in is that on Week 5, that Team 9 would get em- would be either be quite empty or it would be emptied out into the rosters, and then it would be replenished again for the last part of the season. So I find that interesting how they're actually building in uh, this churn. The churn is actually being built into Team 9. So uh, Exactly. Yeah, I find that interesting. 
I, I, and of course, you know, like you, you just hit right there is by week five, it would be assumed that, you know, those 40 players are going to be on a roster somewhere. Well, what happens, you know, if, you, if your team nine's depleted week seven, I need, you know, I need a, I need a center. I need a, you know, I need a corner. Um, guess what? They will replenish it. So there's going to be some movement from some other players who might have been cut from an XFL roster, but who will get even another chance to make that uh, Team 9 roster. And by the end of the season could, in theory, possibly make it to an active roster. So they're giving some of these players so many chances to develop. They're not trying to just write off people. So these players who were cut in training camp, they may get a second or even a third chance to make it on an XFL roster by the end of the season. I think that's kind of unique. And it shows a lot of forethought that they thought this thing out in advance. And that's one of the things that's also impressed me as well. Yeah, they've they've really given this some thought. And then the other point that that shows me they gave it a lot of thought is they hired a contractor, human performance company, Exus, to work with Team 9 and improve strength and conditioning in an effort to cut down on potential injuries. In other words, they hired a contractor to make sure Team 9 is in shape uh, and conditioned before they're called into the, the regular league. Oh, absolutely. And I think that what that shows is the XFL is even looking into the future of sports science. I'm a strength and conditioning coach myself, and I work with young people. And it's not, you know, of course, you know, what, being a football mindset, we, you know, we always worried about the, how do we bend, you know, max out on our bench, squat, and deadlift. That's great and wonderful, but is that really the measure of an athlete? I think what they're trying to do is looking at long-term development uh, physically of the different muscle groups. We're using advanced uh, sports science, sports nutrition, things like that is how to avoid injuries. A lot of people don't understand this. You know, physical workouts aren't necessarily to get stronger, but by doing things correctly from a, a new sports science perspective, they're trying to do it to avoid injuries by doing correct kinds of workouts that are sports specific to football, that they're trying to avoid a lot of these injuries that do take a toll on, you know, a football player's body. It's a violent sport. It's a very demanding sport physically. Uh, the average football player's career is relatively short when you compare it to other sports. If they can find ways to keep these uh, young players healthier and stronger, then they may be able to avoid a lot of the toll of a lot of injuries, which, you know, deplete football teams or their rosters and affect the way, you know, a, a, a team's outcome, you know, for a season. You know, one player goes down, a quarterback goes down, it affects an entire season. Uh, a star wide receiver or star running back goes down, the, you know, there's a playoff push is ended. And it's by taking the sports science concept to completely different levels and bringing in a contractor. I think they're trying to think of, wait, not just keeping these team nine players in shape, but in great shape so that they could avoid injuries. And then we don't have a lot of those problems, you know, as opposed to bringing a player straight off the street. You don't know what kind of really, other than passing a physical, you don't know the long-term, you know, their physical condition. And I think that's what a lot of NFL teams have problems with is just bringing a player on the street. They get injured two days later. You're responsible for them legally here by having this company coming in and helping them. I think they're trying to mitigate a lot of those injury type issues as they, you know, put them on player rosters. It's such a smart move, isn't it? Now, yeah, it is. the Team 9 roster was released 
and it's a 40-man roster, but they released it, I think it had 39 names on it. So they released it, it had 39 names on it, I imagine there's probably another name to come to it. Sure. But it included five quarterbacks, which I guess that really makes sense when you think about it. But what are some of the notable players on Team 9? Uh, a couple of them that I really kind of picked out. Uh, one of them, it, it, of course, coming straight from the Roughnecks, was trying to make on the Roughnecks roster. Uh, one of my followers, quarterback uh, Marcus McDade. He's an interesting uh, guy. Uh, he's bounced around, played in, in Germany professional, played in a number of professional leagues. Uh, he, for him, he was most notable. He was Derek Carr's backup uh at uh, Fresno State. Then he had some uh, problems uh, with a different kind of an offensive scheme when he moved over to transfer to Sacramento State. Uh, just watching some film on him, he's a gunslinger. I mean, he's got a cannon for an arm. I think a team will probably give it him a chance. I think he could play at this level, and he's just one of those quarterbacks that I immediately uh, spotted. Uh, a couple of other guys I thought, um, both Joe Callahan and C.J. Collins, they're also quarterbacks. Coming from small schools, a lot of times some of the some of the fans may say, "Wait a minute, they come from small schools." C.J. Collins comes from SAG, Southwestern Assembly's of God University, small NAI school. Yes, they play football. Yes, it's not you know, of course, it's not Division One. We're not looking at Alabama or Clemson or some, you know or LSU, but it's still college football. And I think a lot of times people you know, have a tendency to, you know, just rule out some of these players from some of the smaller schools. But, you know, once again, there was a guy by the name of Jerry Rice who came from a small school, Mississippi Valley State, and I'm certain nobody's going to you know, overrule him now. You know, a lot of times we see some of these players coming in from some of these smaller schools. does not necessarily mean that they aren't great football players. So those are just some of the ones. And another one I saw was uh, – Gerhard DeBeer, um, also, once again, was on the Roughnecks roster uh, and had played for some time with the Packers. I was kind of surprised. I don't know what happened with his situation or anything else, but I still see that he could be probably uh, very useful as an offensive lineman, big, strong lineman. He's about 6'7", huge guy. I I see him probably pick, being picked up on a roster because linemen have a tendency to go down. And everybody knows you don't have an offense without offensive linemen. So those are a couple of the guys just really quickly I picked off a Team 9 rosters. There's going to be some others. And, and I assume that at one point or another, every one of these guys is going to be playing uh, in, in this league. So there's going to be a chance for these guys to shine. And, and that's what they need to realize. Is you're going to get another chance. You know, Not every football player gets multiple chances to be on a, you know, on a professional roster. And hopefully these young men will realize that the XFL is trying to set you up for as much success as possible take advantage of that because it doesn't always happen that way in professional sports it is cool that the xfl is trying to set players up in fact they in their uh, article they posted on xfl.com they actually said that that they're trying to help players uh, get a get an opportunity to play which is what team nine one of the things team nine is all about and that's cool as well now you uh, talked about the uh, big date from the from the roughnecks now uh let's let's talk more about the roughnecks now now sure. what is your take on the current roughnecks quarterback situation oh i think everybody's wanting to know who's going to be the starting quarterback next week you know you've got two fantastic quarterbacks they're they're completely different they they're both fantastic quarterbacks pj walker coming of course from temple you know you got to remember he he's a matt rule product and if you've seen what Matt Rule is doing, you know, of course, he's now the new head coach of the Carolina Panthers. And he did fantastic work at Baylor. Uh, I mean, he's turned around. Everywhere he's gone, he's turned around a college team. And I think he's been brought in to do the same thing with the Panthers. You know, 
PJ Walker is a product of that type of mentality and that program where success, fast moving football is going to be, you know, was part of the game. Connor Cook, completely different kind of quarterback, big guy, big, strong guy, Michigan State, Big Ten quarterback, had great success with them. Um, and, of course, we remember Connor Cook because, you know, <laughs> if you remember him with the Oakland Raiders, uh, the first guy, I think, in a long time in the Super Bowl era, he actually got his first start in a, in a postseason game, in a playoff game. Of course, it didn't turn out so well for him. But, you know, when you're a third or fourth string quarterback and you get thrown into a playoff game, I mean, just the simple fact that he survived that game, you know, that was kind of an interesting situation. I think a lot of it has to do with looking at which quarterback will sit the run-and-shoot offense the best. P.J. Walker is more of a mobile quarterback because this is going to be a high-scoring, high-throwing offensive you know, type of scheme. And if anybody, older fans, remember the old days of the run-and-shoot, this is, you know, four, this is doubles, twins. I mean, you're running four receivers nonstop. A lot of times your running backs are going to be running as a fifth receiver. So, I mean, you're basically throwing the ball nonstop. Uh, and I think P.J. Walker being a little smaller, a little more mobile, he could do it. Does that mean that Connor Cook could not step in and as a great quarterback and, and lead the Roughnecks? Of course not. I think it's smart to have two great quarterbacks on each team's roster, not just the Roughnecks, but each team's roster. As you watch how many teams have been in the NFL have been hampered by quarterback injuries every year, especially this past season, you got to realize that you need to stock up on some great quarterbacks because you never know at any given moment Quarter, you know, one goes down. You have got to have another fantastic quarterback lead that team effective immediately. Walk out there and lead their teams to victory. Otherwise, your season's over. And I think having two great quarterbacks on there, June Jones is really. I, I, I think he's trying to keep everybody, you know, and not announcing it. I think he's trying to keep the other defensive coordinators wondering what they're going to do. I mean, everybody kind of expects the run and shoot, but who's it going to be with? I, I I would lean like most people to PJ Walker, but we could be surprised. Who knows? He may just change it up. It all depends upon if he can retool Connor Cook to be more of a run and shoot quarterback. And I think that's why most people are leaning towards PJ Walker for you know the starting QB position next week. It's great that they have two good quarterbacks. So as you pointed out, that's probably the the best situation to be in for uh, for June Jones. And having PJ Walker as a starter, but he's got a good backup there, and somebody that might be just oh, as a starter. So, absolutely, and I think that's what I think every XFL team needs to look at. That I think, and if, you know, every professional football team needs to really look at. Hey, we need to have a plan B and a plan C. If our QB one goes down, we better have just as good a guy at QB two. Don't think that you're going down a depth chart without a quarterback. You have you don't have an offense. Your team stalls right then and there. It's like removing the battery from a car engine. You don't have a battery in a car engine. The, the car isn't going anywhere, and the quarterback is that, is that lifeblood of an offensive football team. And, and then that carries over even to the defense. If you're hurting offensively, you're putting more pressure on your defense to perform. So they, these teams really need to be really thinking about stocking plenty of quarterbacks. We know in this day and age, quarterbacks go down. And when they go down, they have a tendency to go down pretty hard <laughs> and for the season. And you've got to have somebody who's, who's ready, willing, and able and has the reps and the, the ability to take over an offense effective immediately. And I think having two good, strong quarterbacks is a really, really smart strategy. 
Um, and I would suspect that all the XFL teams need to really be thinking about that as well. Yeah, for sure. Well, we won't talk about the other teams because some other teams have some, uh, in my opinion, they have some questionable quarterbacking situations going on. Uh, the Roughnecks seem to be strong. Now, is that one of the reasons why the Roughnecks are rated relative, relatively high by the Vegas odd makers right now? I think so. I think both on both sides of the ball, offensively and defensively, the, the draft picks that they've had, the team that, 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 that they have developed, I think that they have gotten things right. Of course, you know, I have a little bit of a, you know, of a bias because, you know, I'm reporting for the Roughnecks, but just looking at some of these teams, I think at least on paper, they seem to be extremely well balanced between a run and shoot offense. They've picked, uh, built a good defensive unit together. So they, they're great on the, they're going to be great on the backside uh, in the secondary. I think that they're quite honestly, I, I fully suspect that they will be in the playoffs and maybe come to the end of the season playing for a championship. Uh, not just a biased opinion, but just looking at this, you know, on paper, at least, of course, you know, on paper means, you know, it's great and wonderful when the season starts rolling on it. You know, sometimes those papers get thrown in the wind, but I think at least starting the season out, they have to be uh, a favorite to at least make the playoffs this year. Well, Vegas usually gets it right. That's how they make money. Yeah, they, yeah, if they get it wrong, they lose money. So, you know, a lot of times they're going to want to get it right. You know, those odd makers aren't there to lose money. They're there to make money. So if they say it's going to happen, you know, there's, they, then they may know something we don't know. Uh, they're, but they're looking at those that paper, too, you know, those depth charts and everything else. They're looking at that as well. They're looking at the history of the coaching staff and what kind of success that they had. And I think that, the, you know, they're looking at it, you know, from a business models, you know, I think that the Roughnecks are, are, are getting it right. They're doing it right at least to start the season out. They've gone through the uh, the coaching pedigree and the the players and the depth chart, as you exactly. pointed out, and they, this is the formula they come up with, and uh, so it's cool to see. Now, what are some of the strengths on the Roughnecks offense, other than the quarterbacks? Oh, I, I mean, we're talking some wide receivers. When you look at when you look at the the NFL experience, Sammy Coates, you know, of course, playing with the Steelers, you know, and of course, you know, he also played with the Browns and finished up with the Texans. He's got NFL playing experience. Cam Phillips, also in there, played with the Buffalo Bills. Another one that I saw uh, just watching some film with the training camp is Raheem Malone. Uh, Malone. He's a Houston native. So, I mean, he's a favorite son automatically right there. Uh, transferred from SMU uh, over to UL Lafayette. Um, I think he did really well in camp as well. I suspect that he is going to be uh, a playmaker as well. So you've got, you know, great wide receivers. You've got a couple great running backs as well because, you know, I know we're talking run and shoot, but you still got to balance out with some good running backs. You know, Nick Hawley, who's one of those kinds of guys, he's kind of an interesting offensive player. He can do other than alignment, he's done just about every other position. He's been a running back. He's been a wide receiver. He's been a quarterback. Uh, he's been a kickoff and punt returner. So he's one of those kinds of guys who can do a little bit of everything. So he can catch a ball, run the ball, or he can even throw the ball for you. Which, if you're thinking, you know, some trick plays, that might come into fact as well. Other guys, um, just trying to think of either O-line is going to be strong. I'm, you know, just thinking about some of the guys that they got on offensive line. They, you know, they, they're going to be extremely well. Also got Andre Williams is another great Boston College guy. He's um, going to be a great running back as well. So I think they're well stocked, you know, on the offensive side of the ball. And of course, with June Jones being an offensive minded uh, head coach, he's going to make sure that he's got that, the, the guys that can fit into that run and shoot type mentality. And I think he'll do a really good job with them. 
So the offense is well set for the Roughnecks. What about the defense? Defense, I, you know, when I'm looking at some of these guys, when you look at some of their linemen, Corey Crawford, Coney Ely, you know, Gabe Wright, you, you're talking D1. You, you've got Division One linemen up front bringing pressure. Uh, linebackers, I mean, some of the linebackers that they've got, they've got some great guys at linebacker too. Where I see their super strength at, corners in the secondary. I'm looking at a couple of corners. Uh, Ajene Harris coming out of USC. I even wrote an article about him because I was so impressed with how this young man's doing. And another one, Savion Smith coming out of Alabama. I think they're going to be lights out in the secondary, which if you face some other teams trying to throw the ball, I mean, of course you want a great secondary. You need the pressure up front. You need to bring pressures off the edge on, you know, on the rush. But if you don't have a good, strong secondary, you know, you're going to get burned every time. So I think their secondary, especially, at least from my standpoint, their secondary is going to be super strong. And I think that they, they're going to be lights out with some of these teams uh, on the defensive side of the ball. So I think they balance themselves really well. So you're, you're kind of a Jude Jones fan now, aren't you? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, knowing what his background for, with the USFL, which was awesome, in, until they decided to try to compete and play in fall football, they just kept it in the spring. I think that league might have even still be around. They just, you know, made that fatal error of trying to compete with the NFL in the fall. Just keep it in the spring and summer. And it was great. Uh, you know, his stuff with SMU, which is not that far from me, and in Dallas, and what he did at the University of Hawaii, I mean, he's an offensive guru. I mean, he's up there like with Hal Mummy. Of course, you know, he didn't get Mummy. Uh, Bob Stoops did. But, I mean, they, these guys have kind of reinvented, you know, the offensive mindset in football. And you're seeing it now. I mean, you know, you look at somebody like Cliff Kingsbury doing with the Air Raid, Mike Leach. I mean, they have influenced so many people that they have revolutionized a lot of the way offensive-minded football is played, uh, especially in the NFL. If you don't have that kind of mindset, you know, it's kind of more of a passing game than it is a run game. Of course, don't tell the Titans that, but you know, they discovered that having one-dimensional offense kind of hurts you too. Um, it'll be, you know, it'll be exciting to see that happen and how that plays out for the Roughnecks. I'm looking forward to watching their games and seeing how this how this goes for June Jones and the Roughnecks. If anything, I think it'll be entertaining. And I think that's one of the number one things that people like. is They want to see those entertaining shootout games. I mean, last year's Super Bowl, I'm a diehard football fan and a, an old football coach. Yeah, I nearly fell asleep. You know, when it, you know at the beginning of the fourth quarter when the score is six to three and you got a baseball score, and all you've kicked is three field goals. Yeah, okay. You know, a defensive minded guy might love it, but come on, we need to we need to see some little scoring. I think we need to keep our attention going, and and that that a lot of times just kind of kills us is when we don't have that attention span. I think if anything else, it'll be entertaining. Well, it's good to hear. So we'll be looking forward to the Houston uh, Roughnecks first game this weekend, and we'll see how uh, how how everything gets pulled together, whether June Jones's plan comes to fruition or or not. Oh, absolutely, and I and I think right now with Houston, I think you know H Town down there is they're just so excited to have another football team there. I mean, it's it's Texas, it's football country. For the for those of you who don't know, realize you know this part of the country we live, breathe, and eat football. And you know, with the Super Bowl being over tomorrow, you you, you sit there. Well, what are, you know, where are we going to get our football? They're excited to have football down there, and I think after 
the, the debacle that was the Texan seasons this past year, they're excited to just have some winning football again. And they're, I think Houston is really going to be excited for them. And I think they're going to do extremely well. I think they're going to be has no problems with great crowds. And like I said, it's football country. They, they'll be happy to have some football in the springtime because, you know, we, we crave football around in this part of the country. So I think they're going to do extremely well. So it's great to have more football in football country then. Absolutely. We, we're the kind of people down here, we could have football 12 months out of the year. <laughs> we never get tired of it. So you're like me then after the Super Bowl, you, you sit there and you kind of go, Hey, I think I have withdrawal now. I can't, you know, I can't handle this no football uh, situation. Exactly. And, and, you know, we can only talk so much about draft picks. I mean, that's still not football. Yes, it's the business side of developing teams, but we need to see some real football. And I, I, I'm, that's one of my biggest hopes is the XFL is a true success as a spring football league uh, and continues on for many, many years to come. That was, you know, the, the first time this came around, of course, you know, lasted one year. Different reasons for it. I think this time they've gotten smart to build a real league for some longevity. And I, I think that will win fans over really quick to it, that this could turn out to be a really great league. And seeing those commercials on Fox and ESPN just makes it even more exciting. It's like, hey, we've got the nation's attention right now that football doesn't end tomorrow. Hey, the new, the new season starts next week, so you don't have to have any withdrawal symptoms. That's exactly it, precisely. And you know, it's it's the it's the shortness of some of these leagues or their lack of longevity. Uh, the Alliance League last year was a huge factor in this. And people are just looking at those other leagues and they're saying, "Well, they don't last, so there's no point." Uh, hopefully, the XFL does last and proves a point. Exactly. I, you know, and once again, I think the the alliance last year, I think they just kind of rushed themselves through. And I think that was a poor business model. They didn't have the cash. They, I don't think that they had the, a lot of the, the players that they were really set in place. They just kind of slapped some teams together. Here, I think the XFL has been taking their time and not trying to rush this product out to the market just to do so. I think by them taking their sweet time and, and developing this and thinking things through rather than just throwing the league out, I think that's going to be smart. And I think that a lot of it has to do with the, uh, Commissioner Luck. I think he's really worked with some good people to, to really plan these, this out. And I think it's going to be successful. In my heart, I truly hope it's going to be successful. Well, the XFL has the cash. They have the money. That's the biggest thing right there. You you just said it. It, it, This is professional sports. This is about money. Uh, It's a business. And if you don't, rule number one, if you don't have, in business, if you don't have money, you don't have a business anymore. And I think they have the money. They have the players. They've got the, the, they've hit good parts of the country that love football and, you know, good markets. And I think they're going to, and they're marketing well, like I said, on uh, ESPN and Fox. I think that they're doing things the right way. And I, and I hope that this carries on, not just this year, but we're talking about this 10 years from now, 20 years from now. Yeah, let's do it. Let's talk about this 10 years from now, you and me, Mike. There you go. I, I'd love to. Let's I'd love it. to. Let's do it. Why not? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> well, it's nice talking to you today about football, and thanks for catching us up on Team 9. Very important oh, you're welcome. for the XFL, and thanks for also catching us up on the Houston Roughnecks. And we look forward oh. to, uh, if you uh, obviously we, we've already ascertained the fact that you and I both look forward to next week XFL kickoff next weekend. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. And, and I appreciate you having me on. Uh, you know, you can tell I love talking football, and I have no problems doing so.
Well, that's great, because I don't mind listening to you talk about football, so we're good. Thank you. I appreciate being on. Thanks, Mike. Have a good day. You too. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Thanks again to our guests, Kirk Barron, Garrett Hartley, and Mike Gamble. For Kirk and Garrett, I wish you all the best of health on the football field and the thought that you will get your moments on the field playing the game that you love. For Mike Gamble, I'd like to thank you for coming to the podcast and sharing your wisdom. We will hear from you again, I'm sure. On a programming note, our podcast production schedule is about to change to take into consideration that there will be games played on the upcoming weekends. For the next 12 weeks, this podcast will come out on Fridays. I hope you enjoyed today's interviews. You're welcome to come back next time, where we'll have more guests and more XFL. Until next time, this is your host, Mark Nelson, and I hope you enjoyed XFL Extra, the XFLboard.com podcast. <laughs> <laughs>